today we're concluding this series uh, called, called Be Light, where we're talking about what it means to be light, right? Jesus calls us in Matthew chapter 5 to be salt and light. In, in this book, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is where Jesus gives what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, my pastor growing up said, the greatest message ever preached, preached by the greatest preacher to ever live. And that's what we're talking about, this message that Jesus gave. And uh, we, we started out looking about what it means to be salt and light, but we also learned that if we're going to be light, then we have to get rid of the things that are weighing down our souls. We literally have to lighten our souls. And last week, Pastor Chris did a wonderful job uh, identifying four different things from Matthew chapter 5, four different weights, and he used the example of these rocks that we sometimes pick up, things that come along with us, the things that start to weigh us down and make us a less effective witness, a less effective salt and light. The rocks from last week were hatred, dishonesty, impurity, and indifference. Now, I don't think any one of you would, to use the illustration of these rocks, would be like, you know what, I want to walk up, I want to, I want to, I want to take some hatred with me today, and like just walk away with it, right? None of us really intentionally bring on these things, yet there's times in life where it just kind of, before we know it, we look in our, you know, proverbial bag, and we notice, I have this hatred in my life. I have indifference in my life. I have these other things, these things that are weighing me down, and, and through circumstances or whatever it may be, we have picked up these things and we have to identify the things that we've picked up. Today, we're going to be identifying four more rocks that weigh us down. Four more things that make our souls heavy. Four more things that make it so much more difficult for us to be salt and light like Jesus calls us to be. Before we get into the truths of Matthew chapter 6 today, though, I want to challenge you with something. A, a statement that I'm going to say multiple times today, and I hope it, it really begins to stick into your head. That statement is this. Be bold enough to identify what is weighing you down and humble enough to give it over to God. Be bold enough to identify what is weighing you down and humble enough to give it over to God. It's one thing to identify what these rocks are, to understand, to, to find out what they are, to understand, man, maybe I have some hatred in my life, but then it's another thing to humbly go before God and say, I've messed up and I'm giving this to you. I, I, I want to lighten my soul so that I can be light in the world. You guys ready for today? Okay, here we go. The four rocks of Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to go ahead and pull out our first rock today. These are the ones from Matthew chapter 5. Here we go from Matthew chapter 6. The first one is the rock of performance. Performance. It starts out this way in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 1 says, Take heed that you do not your alms. Alms there meaning like your charitable deeds. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou dost thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou dost alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The first way that... that this weight of performance can show up in our lives is in our charitable deeds. When you do those things that are good, 
right? We have multiple different ways that you can serve here at the church, and a lot of that is just doing the things that are good, the things that, that Christians are supposed to do, showing charity through our love, right? Your, these charitable deeds, these things that we do. But the problem is, if when you do those things, if you then feel the need to tell everybody about the good things that you've done, then you're carrying around this weight, this rock that is performance, uh, maybe you've seen on, on YouTube or social media or something like celebrities out there and they're like, hey, here's what we're doing today, guys. We're going to go out and we're going to feed all these homeless people. And like they go out and they do that. And it's great. Like they're doing charitable deeds. That's a good thing. I'm glad that they're doing those things. But doesn't it make you wonder if the camera wasn't there? If they weren't doing it for the content, would they have done it? Right. And, and maybe they would have. I'm not here to judge their heart. But it, it does make you think, would they do it if it weren't for the publicity of it. And sometimes I think we get so caught up with, oh, you know what, I'm gonna do this. Why? Because I need other people to know that I am good. Not because I need to just do the good, but because I need other people to know that I do this good. Uh, The question that you should ask yourself is, would I still do this, whatever this charitable deed is, would I still do this if nobody ever knew except for me and God? If nobody ever knew, If you went out and you did the most charitable thing ever and you went and you fed a hundred homeless people but nobody ever knew except you and God, is that okay with you? And if it is, great. Then I don't think you're carrying around this weight of performance. But if you're thinking, man, I really wish it would, I mean, it'd be nice for people to know that I did that. Maybe you're carrying around this weight of performance. The first way that this rock of performance can show up is in our charitable deeds. It can also show up in our prayer. Uh, Jesus continues on in verse 5. He says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. You see, prayer should not be a public performance, but prayer should be a private practice. Praying publicly isn't wrong. It's not wrong to pray publicly. Odds are, and it's already happened today, like we have prayed publicly. It's not a bad thing to do that. But if praying publicly is the only time that you ever pray, that's not right, right? You should not be praying only in public to be seen of other people. You should have a prayer life that is just you and God, a time where it's you and God, nobody else. He continues on talking about prayer in verse 7. He says, But when you pray, use not vain repetition as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking, for saying so many words. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knows what things you have need of before you ask him. Charles Spurgeon said, Prayer is measured by its weight, not its length. There are so many people who, who will pray, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. How many of you ever sat there and you're like, I don't even know what they're saying at this point. Like they just are saying the same thing 10 times over, but in different ways, right? They're just, they're just making the prayer really, really long. Maybe it's just a bad habit of theirs, but maybe they're trying to impress you with how long of a time they can spend in prayer. When really we don't see anywhere in scripture that it's about the length, it's about the weight, it's about opening your heart to God. Another commentator, Clark, said, one can pray long, but to the wrong God. 
Have you ever, maybe like me, you've been with people who uh, you look up to in some sort of spiritual way, and they, they ask you, they're, maybe you're eating together, and they're like, hey, will you pray for the food? And you, you, you wouldn't verbalize it, obviously, but I'm going to verbalize it so you can agree. You think like, man, now's my chance to really show them how spiritual I am. Right? Because you're, you're getting this chance to pray in front of, of these people who, who you look up to in some sort of way. Maybe I'm the only one with that. But all of a sudden, your, your prayer doesn't just become, it's just you and God praying. It's, I got to pray in a way that impresses these other people that I look up to. And so then you begin to pray. And when you do that, when I have done that, the problem is I, I'm, I'm not praying to the one true God. Instead, I am beginning to worship the God of performance. I am, I am in front of everybody saying, I care more about what you think than me actually praying and asking God for what I'm supposed to be doing right now. God is not impressed with the length or the eloquence of our prayers. He just wants to see our hearts. A prayer is not to inform God either. Prayer is to commune with God and to appeal to God. And Jesus then goes on to give uh, them and to give us a model prayer, teaching us how we should pray. A, a scripture that many of you, I'm sure, are very familiar with, one that we're not going to dive into today, just because it could be a sermon all in, all, all in itself, but we are going to read it. It starts in verse 9, uh, what is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is speaking here. It says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The rock of performance can show up in our charitable deeds. It can show up in our prayer. And then the last way that Jesus shows us it can show up is in our fasting. In verse 16, he says, Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly." He's, he's talking about fasting here. Fasting is a, a spiritual discipline uh, of refraining from food for a specific purpose, for something. We refrain from, should be, this is something that should be a part of a Christian's life, right? Like we should fast at times. There should be times where we specifically fast for something. We refrain from food for a specific, purp for a specific purpose. But there was a problem in these times where people were announcing their fasting, like they were going around, hey, I'm fasting today. And they wanted everybody to know about the fact that they were fasting. Not only that, they made sure that they looked extra hungry. Now, I know some of you in here, if you're like me, you don't need any extra help looking hungry, right? You just get hungry, you just know. These people, they say, I'm hungry and I want people, I want everybody to know that I'm hungry. And I want them to know that I'm hungry because I'm fasting. Everybody has to know about the good that I am doing in the name of God. And that's what they were doing. There's no reason for you to brag about your fasting to other people. Uh, I have seen a couple of times, and it just, it just makes me chuckle a little bit because I think of this passage. I've seen people post on social media, and they'll say something like, really hungry today, fasting for whatever purpose, and they'll like say what it is. And it's like, 
Okay, why did you post that? What was your motivation there? To get other people to know that you're fasting, right? That's, that's why else would you post it? And that's, it's just like these, these Pharisees, these hypocrites, the ones who are, who are serving the rock of performance, they're, they're announcing their fasting. They're announcing the spiritual things that they do because they're serving, they're carrying around this weight of performance. The rock of performance can show up in many areas of our lives. And Jesus points out three, charitable deeds, prayer, and fasting. Now I want to challenge you, be bold enough to identify what is weighing you down and humble enough to give it over to God. All right, we're going to get into the second rock of Matthew chapter 6. And this is the rock of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. He says, starting in verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will, for, will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus calls us to forgive those who have wronged us. And this is something that automatically for some of you in this room today, I said that and you're like, mm, no. And this is difficult. It's hard to do these things, but yet this is the life that Jesus calls us to. And sometimes there's some things in Christianity and with following God that are, are so life-giving and amazing and, and they seem that way on the front end, but this is not one of those things oftentimes. Forgiveness is, is difficult. It's hard. But yet, Jesus calls us to it. And in fact, he says this imperatively. It's not he's asking us to forgive or he's suggesting that we forgive. He's telling us, my followers forgive. That's what they do. And, and as Christians, we forgive. That's what we have to do. And for some, this is really, really difficult. And for some, it's that difficult because they have so much bitterness in their heart. For some, it's so difficult because they have experienced some terrible circumstances. Some things that, that in many people's eyes, in the world's eyes, would be deemed unforgivable. But yet, Jesus tells us to forgive. You see, we have to recognize that God was gracious enough to forgive us and then allow that to motivate us to forgive others. You see, when we can understand and realize the greatness of our offenses to God, it allows us to see how minuscule others' offenses are to us, empowering us then to forgive. And, and again, maybe you're here and you're thinking, you don't know what's happened to me, it's unforgivable. And I don't know what's happened to you. But I do know that Jesus calls us to forgive. And I know that he'll help us to do it. I know he'll help us to do it. And I'm not saying that forgiveness is equal to immediate restoration. I'm not saying that at all. If, if you need to, to be away from someone or something because of the way you hurt, because of the way that they hurt you, okay, I mean, do that. But you can still forgive them. You can still forgive them, and God will help you to forgive them. Be bold enough to identify what is weighing you down, and humble enough to give it over to God. Here's our, our third rock from Matthew chapter 6, 
And this is one that I think uh, many of us will relate to. I know this is one that I relate to, and that is the weight of materialism. Materialism. Anybody in here bold enough to admit that you are a little bit materialistic at times with me? Yeah, I, it's just, it's an it's a easy thing to fall into, right? That's a, an easy weight to pick up. You get so trapped in this, this belief that you just need more stuff, right? There's so, many, there's so much stuff out there that's just cool. Uh, I, I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago that I really like technology. If you want to see something that will blow your mind, Apple just released this new product called the Apple Vision Pro. Anybody, anybody seen it already? A number of you in here? Okay. Uh, it is insane. It's absolutely insane. You just got to look it up. Here's the problem with the Apple Vision Pro, though. I saw it and I thought, man, that is cool. And I told Lydia, I said, I have a new thing that I have to start saving up for. Because it's $3,500. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. But man, it is so cool. So anyway, that's, I just wanted to give you a, a look into my materialistic side. Materialism. Culture has taught us and that they've taught us something to believe. And what they've taught us is that more is better. More is better. It doesn't matter what, but more is better. And the fact is, we've bought into that. The fact that culture is telling us that, we've, we've bought into it. We've begun to believe that more is better. How many of you would admit, I would just be happy if I had this thing? Anybody? My hand is up, right? I just need this thing and then I'll be happy. I promise once I'm there, I, I will forever be content once I have that one thing. More is better. Any commercial that you see, any ad that you see will be telling you that if you buy this product, your life will be better. More is better. Let's look at what Jesus has to say, though. In verse 19, he says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. But where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is in the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon there is, is just a word for money. The things that we have here on this world will one day perish, just like everything else in this world. I've heard it said that you never see a moving truck following a hearse. You can't, you can't bring that stuff with you. You can't. It's, it's not going to come with you. So you need to invest in eternal things, things of eternal value. You see, when we, when we steward our God-given finances well and we use them for kingdom purposes, those are the things that will last. It's not wrong to have earthly possessions, but you have to ask yourself the question, what is my priority? What gets more of my attention? Uh, now, I want to I make a bold statement. I believe Jesus makes it before I do, but I want to rephrase it some. In verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
Here's my bold statement. Show me your finances and I'll show you your heart. Show me your finances and I'll show you your heart. Could it be that we feel distant from God because our hearts or our finances don't point us toward God? Did you know uh, that the average American household estimated that they spent $86 monthly on subscriptions? How many of you would say, that probably sounds right? Like, you know, you got Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, all the different streaming services. Maybe you pay for some sort of gaming platform or something. The different subscriptions that you have, $86 a month. Does that sound maybe decent to what some of you are thinking? A couple hands, okay. That's what they estimated for themselves, but they were wrong. When they looked at their finances, that number grew to $219. $219 a month was going towards different things. And, and it may not seem like much because, you know, one subscription might be 5 or $10 a month. And it's like, psh, no big deal. But once you have 15 of those or 20 of those, it starts to add up. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of money going towards all these different things. Show me your finances, and I'll show you your heart. Notice in verse 21 again. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Notice that Jesus starts with the treasure, and then he talks about your heart. I I think that, I believe that where your treasure goes, your heart follows. It's not that it's not that you build this passion for something and then you start giving. It's you start giving and then your passion comes into it. You, where your treasure is, that's where your heart, that's where your heart ends up, right? So maybe you've thought, I wish I had more of a heart for missions, right? Because then I would maybe want to give more for missions. Well, if you just sacrificially give for missions, your heart will follow. You'll be more interested because you literally have more invested into it. You, you, are, you have literally bought into it more. I know for a fact, I know for a fact that this church has a heart for teenagers, for the next generation. I know you guys do. And the way I know is not just from you telling me you do. It's because every year we go to summer camp. Uh, we actually leave a week from tomorrow for summer camp this year. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, 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 it's awesome. Every year though, we have students who struggle financially to go to camp, who just, they just need some financial assistance in order to go. Dozens of them, dozens. And every year, those dozens of students who were struggling to be able to make it to camp, make it to camp. Every single year, every single, yeah, I celebrate that, that's awesome. Every single year, because you guys give towards it. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I know you guys have a heart for these teenagers. Why? Because you've put your treasure into it. You've been willing to give financially so that they're able to go. I'm telling you, I, I, it is my absolute pleasure, and it is because of you that I get to say this. I get up on Wednesday nights and tell them, if you want to go to camp, but your, your excuse right now is finances, I'm telling you, you have an invalid excuse because people have given so that you are able to go to camp. I get to say that because of you guys. Because of your heart being there. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. He says in verse 22, he says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. 
if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. You see, when your heart and mind is set on kingdom values and principles, your whole body is full of light. When your heart and your mind is divided between the kingdom of God and this world and its pleasantries, you are full of darkness. And he goes on to say, you can't do both. You can't serve God and serve money. So maybe you're like me and you need to ask yourself, am I materialistic? Focused on the pleasures, the possessions of this world, believing the culture lie that more is better Would a look at my finances show that I love God, I love his kingdom and his values, or that I love this world, my kingdom, and the culture's values? Again, be bold enough to identify what is weighing you down and humble enough to give it over to God. All right, we're going to go to our last weight that we find in Matthew chapter 6. And that is... The weight of anxiety. Anxiety. Now before we uh, jump into this one completely, I want to take a moment uh, to define anxiety. And even before I define anxiety, I want to talk about two different extremes. When, when you hear the word anxiety, uh, many of you, maybe your minds went to, to a certain spot, okay? Now, when, when I say the word anxiety, oftentimes there are two extremes, right? Uh, I, I, I've heard the phrase and use the phrase all the time because I really like it. There's ditches on both sides of the road, right? There's an extreme to one side and to the other. Now, when you hear uh, the extremes of anxiety, one would be that everything is anxiety. That could be one ditch on the road. The other ditch could be that nothing is anxiety. Okay, the two extremes. Everything is, is anxiety, nothing is anxiety. And for some of you, it's like, oh, this is coming up and I'm just a little bit nervous about it. I have so much anxiety. And it's everything. Every feeling that you have is anxiety. Everything is anxiety. Now, these are the extremes. And the other side is nothing is anxiety. You're just nervous. You're just worried. You just need to get a good night's rest. You just need to get better, right? But almost refuse to use the word anxiety. Everything is anxiety. Nothing is anxiety. I want to fall somewhere right in the middle. I also want to uh, address the difference between worry and anxiety. Uh, worry is over something specific, right? It's something, something specifically is worrying you. If you have a job interview coming up, you might be a little worried about that interview, right? Because it, I mean, that's something to worry about. Anybody nervous about a job interview? You get nervous when you go into a job interview, right? That's something to worry about. It's something specific. It's, it's a little easier to handle. That's something that you can cope with, right? That's worry. But anxiety is more diffused. Rather than on something specific, it's just kind of a general feeling of everything. Uh, not only that, in anxiety, you, you tend to catastrophize. It's not just, I have a job interview coming up. It's, I have a job interview coming up, and I don't know how I'm going to do. And if I don't do well, then I don't get the job. If I don't get the job, then I don't make the money. If I don't make the money, then my wife isn't happy with me. Or if my wife isn't happy with me, then she's probably going to leave me. If she leaves me, then I lose my family. If I lose my family, don't have a job, then I lose the house. I don't have the house. Now I'm homeless. And all of a sudden, you went from an interview to homeless, right? 
you catastrophize yourself all the way there. And I, I have been guilty of this, where I, every scenario that comes up, I just play out the worst case, worst case, worst case, worst case, until, like, <laughs> I'm homeless. And as silly as that sounds, it sounds silly when you say it out loud, yet we do this. We, we catastrophize. It's an overall, anxiety is an overall pervasive feeling of worry. It's often a result of focusing on the wrong things, right? Because there are plenty of things for us to worry about, right? Look at the stock market. Look at your job. Look at your family. There's, there's things to worry about everywhere. But instead of focusing on the things to worry about, what if we changed our attention? What if we, we shifted our focus to something else? Uh, maybe you feel this way. I heard a pastor say, that it's not just you have worries, but worries have you. You're surrounded by them. That's anxiety. Here's what Jesus begins to say, starting in verse 25. He says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Now he says, uh, take no thought for your life. Uh, he's not saying, don't, just don't think about it. He's saying, don't be anxious over it. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought, don't be anxious for your life. What ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on, is not the life more than meat, and body the raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, or by being anxious, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Wherefore, take no thought or don't be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. God knows the difficulties that you're facing. The birds don't worry about what they're going to eat. The flowers don't worry about what they're going to wear. Anxiety over provision is what those who don't have God do. They worry about the difficult things in life. They worry about God providing for them. God knows what we need. He's going to provide. It's in his character to provide for you. He continues on in verse 33 and 34. And this is how he ends this chapter. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So often we get so distracted with all of the things to be anxious over in the future. And Jesus is saying to us, listen, don't worry about tomorrow. Today has enough evil in it, but I'm telling you my grace is sufficient for today. Let's worry about tomorrow when we get there. And I'll be there helping you tomorrow. And the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. I want to end with this. There are, there are two different paths that you can take. Uh, 
one path is keeping your priorities straight and seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness and then letting everything else fall into line, right? Because all of these things will be added unto you. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the direct context here is that, that God will bless us with our physical necessities. But elsewhere in scripture, we can see that, that we have the fruit of the spirit, right? That God works through us for love, joy, peace, long-suffering, all of those things. God's blessing when we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, we have a deep relationship with God. We have the ability to be a powerful witness as salt and as light in this world. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that's one path, and that's the path that I hope all of you will choose to take. Then the other path, though, instead of seeking God's kingdom, I seek my kingdom, Instead of seeking his righteousness, I seek my own sinful desires. Instead of seeking what God values, I seek what culture values. And when you seek that kingdom, this is what's added to you. Hatred, dishonesty, impurity, indifference, performance, unforgiveness, materialism, anxiety. And before you know it, you just feel incapable of being salt and light in this world because you are so weighed down by all of these things that you've picked up along the way. This is what's added to you. And so I, I, I'm challenging you today to be bold enough to identify what is weighing you down and humble enough to give it to God. Choose the path of seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, not seeking my kingdom and my sinful desires because I can have all of my provisions. I can have the fruit of the spirit. I can have God's blessing. I can have a relationship with him. I can, have, I can be a witness for him or I can have all of this. And this way sounds way much better, way better than this way. For each and every one of us though, I just hope and pray that we would be bold enough to identify what's weighing us down and humble enough to give it over to God. 